Welcome to the Living with Lymphoma podcast series, brought to you by the Lymphoma Research Foundation. This is a series devoted to discussing matters important to those touched by a diagnosis of lymphoma. I'm your host, Izumi Nakano, and we're here today with Richard Zavadowski, a peripheral T-cell lymphoma survivor who was gracious enough to share his story with us and how he opted for a clinical trial as his treatment option. We also have Dr. Kieran Dunleavy, a professor of medicine and director of the lymphoma program at George Washington Cancer Center, and one of the doctors who worked on the trial that saved Rich's life. So thank you so much both for being here today. Um, and Rich, why don't we start with you? Um, would you mind telling us a bit about your journey with lymphoma, maybe even before you were diagnosed? Uh, what symptoms did you experience? Well, first off, I'd like to indicate that my I'm retired, and it was 65 years of age when I first noticed that I had lymphoma. But in my uh, job that I had before I got ill, I was a, a marketing director for research and development of engineered systems for space and defense. So I was not in a medical track, but in the engineering world. But the, right. the first thing that I uh, had many years ago, 20 years ago, was rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune problem. And in, in 2007, uh, I noticed some symptoms coming about in November, December timeframe, some of which were skin cancer, skin issues, uh, hair issues, coloration of my face, uh, gastro problems. And with that, I went to various doctors to address each of those problems individually, not knowing what was to happen as time went on. So I went to my family doctor. Um, I went to three uh, oncologists during that period of time. I went to a, a dermatologist because of the skin issue. And uh, with all that, I uh, also had PET scan, uh, MRI, the CT scan, etc. And we, we really didn't know where this was going. Uh, until some of the biopsy material went off, uh, thank God, to NIH and their head pathologist for lymph lymphoid uh, issues was a Dr. Elaine Jaffe. And it was she that determined that I actually had uh, what is now known as peripheral T-cell lymphoma and I had stage four. Um, I found out since that there were, or at the time it was 80 subtypes of cancer, so I was really happy that she was at, uh, the one to look at my, my uh, biopsy material. Then I found out there was only 20% uh, survival if you had this particular blood cancer. And um, uh, another data element of this whole equation is my my biopsy material had been sent off to what the Armed Forces um, Institute of Pathology back then. Uh, and again, we had to wait a long time to get the results of these tests, but thank God uh, Dr. Jaffe was the one to uh, uncover what I really had. Um, had it not been for my wife and son and their persistence with trying to dig into all the details of what was going on, um, I wouldn't have been where I am today. 
Gosh, so it sounds like even before your diagnosis, you you've been through so much, just trying to figure out what it was. Yep. Oh yeah. It it took from no, November through April time frame was the period of time right. that it it we were trying to figure out what was going on. And uh, for those of us that aren't familiar, um, Dr. Dunleavy, what is peripheral T cell lymphoma? Yeah, so first of all, um, most non-Hodgkin's lymphomas are B-cells, like about 85% are B-cells and 15% are T-cells. Right. Um, and actually, in this part of the world, we don't see a lot of T-cell lymphoma, so it's it's very rare. Um, okay. It's much more common in certain regions, such as Asia. Um, right. Yeah, peripheral T-cell lymphoma encompasses a lot of different subtypes, and I think it's fair to say that we're still trying to understand the molecular biology of different subtypes. And I think we're not as far right. advanced as we are in B-cell lymphomas. Um, okay. So, I mean, what Rich had, what Rich had is pretty rare, actually. And, um, you know, in terms of lymphomas, we don't see these diseases too often. But I think we're getting a lot right. better at, at forming consortiums and getting people to collaborate together to try to advance the field and improve the outcome for patients with these diseases. Is there a, a standard treatment when someone's initially diagnosed with that type of lymphoma? So there are different subtypes of peripheral T-cell lymphoma. Um, one subtype is called anaplastic large cell lymphoma, and that has a very high mm -hmm. cure rate, like about 70 or 80%. Um, but okay. the other the other subtypes don't, and what 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 and what Rich had was peripheral T cell lymphoma, not otherwise specified. Um, okay. So I think it's fair to say there is no standard treatment for that. But actually, recently um, there was a study which was led by Steve Horwitz at Memorial Sloan Kettering, and um, they had a brent, uh, they, they studied a drug called um, brentuximab, which targets CD30, and uh, it's, okay. it it was associated with good outcomes in this disease. So. And uh, Rich, what did the doctor suggest with regards to treatment for you? Well, what happened was I, I used the in, input from my uh, doctors that I had met with. I had also gone to a, a comprehensive cancer center in Washington uh, to be looked at. And uh, right. in that process, I found I had really three options to look at. One was to be treated by a local doctor who was going to give me, at the time in 2008, uh, not a standard treatment, but something that they just give to people because they didn't have these bio uh, medicines available at the time. Um, the other option was having it done at a, at a hospital uh, at a comprehensive cancer care uh, center, uh, have it done there mm. uh, with what technologies they had, or go with the recommendation uh, by a number of physicians to seriously consider a clinical research. And uh, I took all that data in, put it through my mind, and with the help of my wife and my son at the kitchen table, we, we realized, wait a minute, you know, your, your best chance of succeeding would be through a clinical research. It was the most aggressive program, uh, meaning that the uh, I would be looked at by a team of physicians. I would be getting mm -hmm. another regiment in addition to what others would perhaps have given me. And right. I would be monitored over six cycles. So I looked at the whole thing, looked at the uh, had doctors tell me what the research would entail, 
and I met the criteria. I was not supposed to have had any chemo or anything uh, before I went into a clinical research. So there is a list of criteria you have to meet, and I met it. And given that information along with what I mentioned a few seconds ago, uh, I opted to go with the more aggressive approach uh, because I wanted to live. I wanted to survive, I wanted to be with my family, and I was determined to make sure that that happened. But I didn't know right. up until that time what what clinical research was until you really get in the middle of it that you realize what, what you're in for. But I'm glad I went that way. Right, and I know that through our um, helpline, we get a lot of calls and, and people have a lot of misconceptions of what clinical trials are. Um, Dr. Dunleavy, would you mind going over what that means? Yes, I think, you know, with with, cl with clinical trials in lymphoma, where, I mean, there are different stages of trials. There are, you know, trials in, sure. in patients who are newly diagnosed, trials in patients who've got relapse or refractory disease. Um, but for the most part, we're testing new treatments and, you know, we don't, we don't know what the outcome is going to be, um, but, mm -hmm. you know, there's supportive evidence that it's these new treatments are going to be very helpful and hopefully better than the standard treatments that are given um, right. you know I think I think especially in t-cell lymphomas it's I think clinical trials are really important because you know they're rare lymphomas we don't as I said we don't see mm -hmm. that many of them um, and you know compared to b-cell lymphomas the outcomes are much worse so sure. it's it's an area where we really need to collaborate with colleagues you know in in doing clinical research and mm -hmm. I, I think the clinical trials are a, an, an, like an especially a high priority in t-cell lymphomas right and and rich did you have any initial thoughts when you heard about clinical trials as a possible option for you because uh, I know during um, calls that I take a lot of people think that they're a guinea pig or it's a last resort um, did you have any thoughts or, or feelings about that uh, no, only because, again, the, my background was in research and development in the engineering world, and I knew right. you had to do these things in order to have great outcomes. I didn't know what the outcome would be, but I knew you had to, you had to uh, bite the bullet and say, yes, I'm going to do it because I want to live. Um, I didn't know, again, I didn't know all the ins and outs of clinical research, but I, I learned that uh, they're not going to give you um, uh, a, a dummy drug or a sugar pill. These people right. that worked were at NIH where I got my clinical research uh, certainly gave me all the meds to, to make, uh, make me better. And uh, as mm -hmm. a matter of fact, I read on, I believe it was the lymphoma research site, and it's so true, um, I'll quote from it, it says, in cancer clinical trials, patients are never given a placebo in place of an effective standard therapy. There was no, no thought ever that there'd be a placebo in this, in this context. You're given the medicine to make you better, and you can see it in the eyes of the doctors and the nurses. Everyone there is trying to get you better. And uh, Dr. Dunleavy, would you mind describing the particular trial that Rich participated in? Um, what were the initial steps? You know, what what did it look like? Yeah, so um, he he was in a phase one, phase two study. So initially it was phase one, and it was combining mm -hmm. a drug called alemtuzumab, which is a monoclonal antibody 
directed against CD52 with a now pretty standard regimen called the Epoch regimen. Um, but the hypothesis that alemtuzumab would increase the effectiveness of Epoch and you know hopefully would increase the cure rate. Um, so that was right. the first combination of this new drug alemtuzumab with Epoch. Um, I mean, also I would say with T-cell lymphomas, I guess, you know, in answering your earlier question, the standard, the standard treatment is probably still CHOP, but with EPOC, there's okay. a drug called um, Atoposide, which is added, and mm -hmm. that drug seems to work pretty well in T-cell lymphomas. So that's the um, platform that Rich got. And what do you usually look at in the patient to try and figure out maybe what would be the best option for them? So, I mean, I think you look at, I mean, you look at their, like the biology of their disease. I mean, the histology, right. look at different markers, see what type of T-cell lymphoma it is um, right. to try to like understand or to, you know, come up with the best treatment. It's a pretty complicated space, I think, peripheral T-cell lymphoma, because as I said, there are lots of different subtypes and, you know, there really are not a lot of standard approaches, actually. Um, okay. So I think that... We it's it's you know it's an area or like a, a disease area that we really need to think about and you know work a lot on and develop new treatments for patients with this disease. So would you say that maybe if someone was diagnosed with this particular subtype, um, maybe not in a comprehensive cancer center, that they would at the very least maybe get a second opinion at a, a research facility or an institution that, that does kind of run clinical trials? Yeah, no, I think for sure. I think, I, you know, I think when you have a rare lymphoma, you definitely need to get a, a good opinion. And I think it's really important to have right. your pathology reviewed as well by a okay. hematopathologist who's very familiar with looking at lymphoma cases. Because um, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's really critical in this because if you don't sort of get off to the right start, then that's a problem. Right. So. The pathology yeah. is really key, actually, in, in all lymphomas, but particularly in, in, in T-cell lymphomas that are rare. And Rich, what was it like for your family, um, just hearing the diagnosis and then having to, to figure out, you know, what the next steps were? Uh, it obviously, it was difficult. Um, right. We know we had to um, go this path to, to assure ourselves that everything was being done. I had no assurance the other pathways would have resulted in what I experienced. I mean, I went through, uh, when you add up all the hours, 650 hours of chemo over the six cycles uh, for the, uh, from May into September. Uh, right. But it was hard, but we got around it with some innovative ideas. I went into the hospital on a Thursday and it came out on a Tuesday. And for that whole length of time, I was getting chemo in a, either from the um, there in a hospital or if I left the hospital, I would put it in a fanny pack. Well, we went to we went to the Kennedy Center to see the Lion King and I was carrying a fanny pack while I was getting my chemo. And uh, a lot of people didn't realize you could do that. And I well, I had a pick line, as they call it, where the you get your chemo into your system, and that was established. That was done by NIH, um, but it allowed me to have access to roam around even NIH. It allowed me time to exit the building if I wanted to on the weekends. And right. uh, we went to another theater. My son loves theater. Uh, we went to a 
place in Arlington, Virginia, I met uh, Cheetah Rivera. And Cheetah Rivera was the, one of the original actors, singers, performers of West Side Story. And I went over to Cheetah and we were talking. I said, while I'm talking to you, I'm getting chemo. And she's, what? I said, yeah, I'm getting <laughs> chemo while I'm talking to you. She says, I can't believe what you're telling me. And off she went. Right. And ironically, this year, he, uh, where my son is working on a, a musical, it's going to be Cheetah Rivera's musical called West Side Story. So everything, oh, wow. <laughs> everything turns around. So there's good things to all this. Right. The other, other thing that my son did, and, and the reason I'm telling you this is that when, you, when you're in a hospital, it's very serious stuff. When you're talking to the doctors, it's very serious stuff. But you've got to bring some laughter and some distractions while you're going through it. The other distraction I had was bringing in a wig, or my son brought in a new wig. I had Edward Scissorhand. I had uh, surfing, <laughs> California surfing. I had uh, afros. I had all kinds of wigs, and I wore them in the hospital. And and Dr. Dunleavy right. may remember some of them that I wore or not, but uh, it was a way to <laughs> keep things light, you know, because it is serious, but I think your body reacts better with laughter if you can muster right. it up. And the attitude that you bring into your cancer is very, very important, along with the support that I got from my wife and son. Without that support mechanism and without prayers, prayers is totally, totally important in my way of thinking about uh, conquering anything. I, and I could go into a whole bunch of things by it, like that, but my son had a prayer group uh, throughout every continent in the world praying for his dad. And um, what kind of side effects did you experience from the, the treatment? Uh, I had the, the usual, a lot of fatigue, uh, lots of fatigue when I got home. Um, right. I had neuropathy, which I still have today because that's one of the side effects of one of the chemos was uh, um, peripheral neuropathy on the bottom of your feet, just like you would if you had uh, diabetes. Not talked about at the time, but it was chemo brain. It's because of the effects of all the chemos that you're taking over that long period of time that it does affect your brain. It comes back. You just take your vitamins, eat well, be happy, and those a lot of those things go away. And I've heard you know some patients uh, mention chemo brain. What what did that look like for your situation for you? Just things were blurry. You're not you're not as keen on in your mind as you want to be you, you forget things but that's all mm -hmm. the, the normal process I think doctor can can tell you more but that's what I experienced but it did go away um, and, and one has to realize that um, uh, you know if, if you want survival and you want to live these are some of the things you may have to pay for but um, the, the, the name of the game is living, and that's that's what it was all about. So many people, they're so fearful when they hear those two words, clinical trials. Um, they have no idea what it means and, and what it is. And um, Dr. Dunleavy, do you experience a lot of having to educate your patients about what it is and, and their uh, misconceptions about it? Yeah, no, I think so. I think as you said earlier, I mean, some people do feel they're being experimented on. Um, that's a, you know, kind of, I guess, like a 
historical thing that a, a lot of people, a lot of patients feel. Um, right. But you know, I think in, I think in oncology at the moment, I mean, we're we're just at a very exciting time. I mean, there are you know all kinds of new drugs, uh, small molecule inhibitors, um, all these different agents that are working really well, not just in lymphoma but in other types of cancers as well. So, I think our job is to um, like move these things forward, like move like move the most promising treatments forward, right. and, and you know, and get them to, to to patients to improve their outcomes. And I think that's happening right. at the moment. But you know, it's a it's a difficult process. There's lots of politics. You have to work with different organizations, companies, uh, the FDA. I mean, it's a it's a um, challenging process, and also I think, especially for um, T cell lymphomas, I, I think international collaborations are key, wh wh where we don't really see these types of lymphomas very commonly in the U.S. and they're yeah. much more common in places like Asia. So I think that um, it's a big challenge to move this forward, but I think that's what we're all in this business for <laughs> and doing so. Right. Yeah. And how would someone find uh, a clinical trial? So I mean, probably on the internet, um, clinicaltrials.gov, in terms of, um, I guess, U.S. trials. I think all of the oncology trials are are on that website. Um, right. Also, the LRF are very, you know, are very helpful for clinical trials in lymphoma. So I think that people can contact LRF, and I think that they right. have access to all of the clinical trials that are ongoing, and also. I think they can give a lot of guidance to people about maybe right. you should consider this or that or call this person or that person or whatever. So, I mean, they're really an incredible organization. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they can call our clinical trials information service and, you know, we're happy to gather the information about um, that particular person and then do the search for them and, and of course, encourage them to take it to their doctor um, since obviously we're not doctors and we can't say what would be the best option. but maybe do some of the legwork um, for them so that they they have it um, handy to discuss with their physician. Um, and what other types of support uh, did you look for, Rich, uh, while you were going through uh, treatment or even after after treatment was over? During the process, the, the, the thing I relied upon the most was uh, my family and friends that would come right. by and talk. Um, and that helps a lot, you need that. Letters were helpful. Uh, like I said earlier, my son had uh, asked many people that he knew in the internet marketing world if they wouldn't mind putting his dad on the prayer list, and they did, and it, it uh, I have a, a two-inch ring binder of all the responses back from people all over the world praying for my son's wow. dad. So we, right. th that's the support that is really, really important. But you got to call on all those things and be ready to ask for help. I see so many times that people may not want to request a helping hand, but they should. They got to learn to do that more when you when you have a serious illness, because you're going to be dependent upon people at the front end of of any kind of major illness. And don't be afraid to ask. It's really important, but also say thank you, okay? So right. I, I failed to mention one other thing that when in uh, before I made my decision to go into clinical trials, it had gotten so bad that I had uh, found out uh, 
when I first went into it that I had gotten blood clots in my both legs and also that the cancer had metastasized into my boat, into one leg and into my ribs. So it was really aggressive and I had to be very, very quick in making a decision which way I went to go. And I am so glad I went with clinical research because uh, it saved my life. I was very, very happy about that. Right. I mean, that must have been a, a stressful situation because you really didn't have the time to sit there and debate uh, you know, what would be the best treatment for you no, or what choice to no, make? No, you, you didn't have that time in my case. And, right. Uh, and we were, but we were relying upon all the data points that we were collecting along the way from the three oncologists that I met uh, and others. And the, the, the clincher was, in many ways, the pathology report that said you have this definitively and we're working on a program to help people. You know, those two elements were so important to me where you wouldn't get that from perhaps a doctor's office. They may not tell you that right. with that strength. And uh, fortunately, I was I, I was accepted into the program uh, at NIH. And I'm blessed that I did. Right. Is is it difficult, Dr. Donnelly, to get into a trial? I mean, I think it's, yeah, I, I think it is somewhat challenging. I mean, I think you have to go to right. a certain institution. You have to, mm -hmm. I mean, I think a patient has to seek out a trial somewhat. Um, right. But I think we try and make it as easy as possible. I mean, one, you know, one thing, I mean, one issue that has come up a lot is that, um, you know, I think there are certain certain populations of, of patients or people who have a real difficulty accessing trials. I, w I would say especially okay. probably underprivileged people in, in the U.S. Right. Um, it's, mm -hmm. you know, something that I definitely see in my current position at, um, at George Washington University because we have, you know, we see a lot of people from Southeast D.C. where socioeconomically they are you know, underprivileged, and I think for that, I mean, for those people, it's really difficult to access clinical trials, and it's something sure. I think we have to think about and, you know, figure out ways that we, we can move forward, so. And let me add something to that is something that I didn't know um, was that when you are accepted into a clinical research program, in the, in the one that I went into, and I'll let doctors speak to others, but uh, I didn't know that uh, the everything is paid for. I mean, your food, the room, the doctors, the medicines. Y yes, you, you are, uh, you're, you're adding something to medical science by giving, giving up uh, uh, information about the details of your blood and everything else. That, that's true. Mm -hmm. But in return, you're getting something that is unbelievable. Uh, you didn't have to put out a credit card and say, I'll pay for it, and then hope that you'd be able to pay for it all. But a clinical trials, um, they're funded such that uh, people can uh, have at least a financial benefit from not worrying about the meds and the other things that are typical in a hospital or a doctor's office environment. Correct me if I'm wrong, doctor. Is that right? Or, I mean, in my case, it was, but I don't know how others. I mean, are I think right. it's somewhat right. I think I think it's a bit different at the NIH because I mean, there's no insurance. Like everything is paid for by the federal government. So, I think if you do okay. research in other institutions, it's not quite as easy as that. But at the same time, I think things should be paid for. But it can be a little bit complicated sometimes. Right. Right. So it's a matter of. Uh 
the patient needs to do their due diligence to research and try and figure out because some trials may offer some sort some sort of assistance or, or even partially for some things. Um, but yeah, and there are organizations like Lymphoma Research Foundation where we do offer financial assistance. Um, so it's just a matter of doing the legwork and trying to find um, those different resources that are out there. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the key for people is to have a lot of communication with the LRF, with people like myself. I mean, we're all very happy to talk to patients who are seeking out clinical trials, and I think that there are lots of resources that people might not know about at the very beginning, but if you right. actually make a few calls, you can probably figure them out, and I think that's really important, so. Right, and I, and I think, um, Sometimes people are scared to ask their doctors those questions. They think, you know, they're too busy or they don't have time to sit there and, and chat with me about anything that I'm thinking about. So, I mean, definitely if, if there's any way that this can encourage people to really kind of open up that line of communication with their own doctor um, and just put it out there that there are options available, that their doctor is more than happy for the most part to sit there and, and chat with them about it. And Rich, looking back, um, is there anything that you would do differently with the choices that you made and your journey through this diagnosis? No, I, I, I don't think there's anything I would change. Um, I, I was fortunate, like I said, to have support from my wife and son totally and uh, the decisions I've discussed. But uh, no, I, and, and the, the care that I was given there at NIH was unbelievable. And when the doctors make the rounds, they come in mass. <laughs> I remember <laughs> with Dr. Dunleavy being one of the doctors, but the, they come and they they are really, from the bottom of their hearts, concerned about your your well-being. Well, how are you doing, Rich? What, what's Tell us what's happened to you since the last time we saw you. And they take that down. They they do work with you and... and uh, no, it's it's a decision I'm very, very happy to have made that way. And if anyone ever wanted to talk to me about it, um, LRF has my phone number and they can put me put them in touch with me or send me an email. I'll be glad to talk about my experiences even more if you want it. Again, LRF, like Dr. said, is, is an organization. If you needed some help, they, they're there all the time and I've been working with them for since I think seven eight years now and I can vouch for their support on everything I've done well thank you rich and and you know as you mentioned speaking to other patients um, we do have that program the lymphoma support network where we can connect a patient or even a caregiver um, with someone a volunteer in a similar situation to their own um, or as close as possible where they can kind of communicate maybe by phone or, or via email um, just to kind of share their experiences with each other, because sometimes just having that extra support, uh, maybe not a family member or a friend, but someone just kind of outside that's willing to be there for them, uh, I mean, it's definitely important. Totally agree. Totally agree. Right. And uh, when you were looking for information about treatments and your diagnosis, um, did you go online and, and search for information, or, or how did you find out about your diagnosis after finding from the doctor? Most of the research was done by my son and my wife, and in a lot of ways, they kept a lot of that information, rightfully so, away from me. I didn't want to hear some of the details. Right. Uh, and they took the brunt of it, in, in, my, in my case, from what I understand. But they did a lot. My son was, uh, was dogged about 
chasing down any opportunity or trying to find out where to go, what doctors to see in the D.C. area, um, and would look it up. And But you know, my wife is a registered nurse. I was fortunate about that, too. Yeah. At least we had somebody in the family who knew some medical things. But, again, as the doctor said, you can... You can ask your doctor and you can find friends who are uh, in the medical field and they'll be glad to help you out. Just ask. And in my case, I, right. I was fortunate, but uh, but ask for ask for help and uh, do a lot of research. Uh, just be careful you don't get on the wrong internet sites. Oh, definitely, because you always have to kind of take everything with a grain of salt, what you find online, and, and make sure you take that to your doctor um, just to see if that does actually apply to your situation and that's uh, where there's just so much out there yeah and that's where the lymphoma research foundation comes in their educational material they've got information on um, uh, clinical trials they got a, a sheet on t-cell lymphomas and they are so spot on everything i've learned is that is current is from their educational material and i can't say that enough just look online and uh They've got resources and, and really well-known doctors who have reviewed this material, and I, I trust it completely. Well, thank you both so much for joining us here today, uh, Dr. Dunleavy, for, your, for sharing your expertise. And tune in uh, to our next episode where we will discuss CAR T-cell therapy uh, featuring an expert who will discuss this emerging treatment option and a survivor who received CAR-T and will share her experience. And as always, for more information on lymphoma and LRF, you can visit us on our website, uh, lymphoma.org, or can contact the LRF helpline at 1-800-500-9976.